House proposes adoption of the agenda. Do I have a seconder? Peacock second, Chair. Peacock seconds. That takes us to the next item. Do we have the apologies? Babawa, the apologies? Good morning, Chair. Yes, we do have the apologies. We received an apology from uh, Honorable Molekwa. She will, she will not be able able to attend a meeting due to a cabinet uh, meeting. Um, uh, colleagues, can you hear me now? Yes, Chair. All right, again, my, I'm on load shedding. Uh, colleagues, could we then, um, we have the apologies. I'm going to ask that we consider the minutes. Could I have the minutes? Page one, could you go to page one, please? Thank you, page two. Page three. Four, five, page four is adopted, page five, six, could we go to page seven? Seven, closing remarks, page eight. The meeting adjourned. Uh, thank you very much. Do I have any additions, corrections? Do you have any additions or corrections? Hello. I do not note any hands. Uh, could you mute your mics, please? Uh, there's a mic um, which is 8009-6824. Could you mute your mic, please? Do I have a proposal for the adoption of the minutes? I move, Chair. Uh, there's a mover. Who's that? Siabi. Oh, thank you, Honorable Whip. Do I have a seconder? Peacock seconds, Chair. Peacock <laughs> Um, that takes us now, Honorable Whip, we, are, we have five presentations, so I'm going to do all the presentations and then we'll take the comments and the questions. Honorable Deputy Minister, would you like to introduce the topic? The Minister has apologized. Thank you, Honorable Thank Deputy you. Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. I have problems of uh, network where I am, so I want to put my video on so that I'm able to, to present to yourself. Thanks for uh, this opportunity. Morning to you, morning to members of the committee, uh, morning to uh, National Commissioner and the team. 
We are here to present as requested by the committee on uh, the implementation of the Domestic Violence Act uh, by both the uh, civilian uh, secretariat and the South African police. We will start with the presentation by the South African police followed by the, by the civilian secretariat. And the presentation as uh, we have prepared chair covers the areas that you have outlined. So you, we will have one presentation which will be, will be done. And in it, we have integrated the, the, the bullet points that have been outlined in your, in your agenda item. If you may allow, I will request that the National Commissioner and the team lead with the presentation. You will then uh, call upon the person who will lead us in the presentation this morning. If you allow, I'll request that National Commissioner General Masemola uh, uh, lead with the presentation from the police side. Thank you very much. And we also acknowledge uh, the presence of the Acting Secretary for the Civilian Secretariat and his team. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Uh, the Civilian Secretariat, Acting Head of the Civilian Secretariat, uh, General Masemola, uh, could I please welcome and good morning. Could I please have an indication who will do the presentation? Good morning. Uh, yes, you can introduce your team. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Good morning and good morning, uh, Honorable Members of the Committee. Good morning, the Deputy Minister and the colleagues. I am with uh, Deputy National Commissioner, Lieutenant General Jinga together with uh, divisional commissioners and all provincial commissioners. Uh, Major General Matonzi will lead us with uh, the presentation, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, National Commissioner. Uh, you may start now with the presentation. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members, our Deputy Minister, National Commissioner, the Acting Secretary, Mr. Ramaru, our Deputy National Commissioners, all senior officers, and all protocol observed. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair, for the opportunity. I'm going to take you through the, the report on gender-based violence. The purpose of this report, Chair, is to brief the Portfolio Committee on the implementation of Domestic Violence Act, which is covering the period from the 1st of March up to the 31st of September, which is the first semester of, of, of the previous financial year. We've already prepared the report for the second semester, but it has not been formally signed, signed by, by the Minister, hence we are reporting for that particular period. In terms of the presentation overview or the content, uh, Honorable Chair, uh, we're going to outline briefly the, the mandate in terms of the Domestic Violence Act, uh, which uh, dictate what are the requirements in terms of reporting. We're then going to present the biannual report for that particular period, April to September. And we're then going to report on the monitoring of stations as part of the process to ensure compliance. Then we're going to talk about the GPV desk and then lastly, we just give an indication of the budget that we've set aside for GPV in the current financial year. 
if you can go to the next slide, the mandate in terms of the domestic violence. Honorable Chair, we, we are required by the Domestic Violence Act to report as a department to the parliament, hence we are reporting today in this particular platform. We are required to report in terms of the numbers and the particulars of complaints received against our members. These complaints will range from a failure to comply with a specific prescript or not attending to a particular victim when it comes to the station or when she comes to the station. We are also required to report in terms of the disciplinary steps that we have taken where the members have failed to comply with the act. And thirdly, we are also required to take any steps as a result of the recommendation from civilian secretariat. Civilian secretariat as an oversight body, they are responsible to make sure that they go and check compliance at station. So wherever they are making any recommendations, we are required by this act to make sure that we take steps to respond to those recommendations. But over and above that, the portfolio committee requested us to add other information. That additional information is the members as victims and perpetrators. In other words, we have to report as well how many members were victims of domestic violence and how many members were perpetrators of domestic violence. But we are also required or required by the portfolio committee to also report on the firearms seized from those members who are involved in any crime, as well as reporting the stations where they are coming from. And lastly, the portfolio committee also requested to report on other issues that may relate to the domestic violence program. Hence, we included the desk, we included the budget, as well as other training issues. We can go to the next slide. <clears throat> If we look at the, this is reporting in terms of the last year, the previous cases from last year, uh, which, uh, which were still in the pipeline. As I said, one of the requirements for us is to report how we resolve all the issues or the complaints that were raised. From the previous year, we had a total of eight. In Gauteng, it was the one case which was finalized as a verbal warning which was relating to failure to, to complete SAP 508. These are domestic violence registers. In KwaZulu-Natal, there were a total of three cases. One case was finalized. A corrective counseling was, uh, was provided there. In that particular case, again, it was a failure to complete domestic violence registers. The other two cases, failure to assist the complainant to open a case, also from KZ10. Those cases are still pending under investigation. In Western Cape, the total was four cases, also failure to complete 508. Those cases are also still, are still pending as well. They're under investigation. Then the next slide, looking at the number and nature of complaints. Without going through all the numbers, the total was 59 honorable chair. The highest number is 35, which refers to the failure to complete the 508. That was the highest number. Then also failure to open a case with a total of 15 cases. And then in total, all complaints comes to 59 for the reporting period, which is April to September. And go to the next one. If you look at the number of complaints per, per province, which is the breakdown of the same 59 that I've just spoken about. This is the breakdown per month, per province. Free state, we had 13. Um, Gauteng, we had three. 
Western Cape with the highest number of, of 43, and that gives us a total of 49 during the reporting period. You can go to the next one. Then if you look at the departmental actions, one of the requirements, as I indicated, is to, is to, is to make sure that uh, we, we decide on these cases and make sure that members account for failing to comply. 29 cases during the reporting period were considered very minor and not serious. Um, the other 14 cases, verbal warning was provided uh, in terms of those cases were also considered not very, very serious. And then we also had a written warning in five of the cases with two coming from Free State and two from Western Cape. And then we also had uh, departmental investigation. These are serious cases now, which are under investigation. There are 11 cases that are still uh, under investigation. And that gives us a total of, of 59. If you look at the Western Cape, had the highest number of 43, and then Free State with, with 13. We can go to the next one. If we look at the members now uh, as uh, alleged domestic violence perpetrators, we had a total of 147 members who were perpetrators of domestic violence. And that's a breakdown from province. If we look at Free State, we had 26 cases uh, from 19 police stations. Gauteng were 26 members from 17 police stations. Wazulu Natal, six members from six police stations. Uh, I think the others have uh, four and below. If you look at the Western Cape there, 76 from 41 police stations. That gives us a total of 147 members who are alleged perpetrators from 95 different police stations. You can go to the next one. <clears throat> this is just a, a breakdown, just to, to indicate uh, the, uh, the variances there. You look at Free State, Gauteng and Western Cape, they had the highest numbers with Free State 26, Gauteng also 26, as well as Western Cape uh, with 76 uh, members. You can go to the next one, looking at the victims. We're looking at the breakdown of the victims. These are the members of SAPS who were victims of domestic violence. Uh, we had a total of 73 members from 50 different police stations, with Free State having 19 from 19 police stations, Gauteng at nine from seven police stations, KwaZulu Natal reported five from five police stations. I think the other three provinces, Pumalanga, Northern Cape, and Northwest, were two and below. And if you look at the Western Cape, they had 36, 34 members from 18 police stations. And that gives us a total of 73 victims from 50 police stations. If you can go to the next one, which will be a breakdown just to highlight those, uh, those changes. We can see that Free State, Gauteng, and Western Cape with the, with the highest numbers in terms of members who are victims of domestic violence. You can go to the next one. We look at the seizure of firearms, which is also a, a requirement as well uh, to, to take the firearms away from, from the members. If we look at the total, uh, we had 75 number of firearms seized from such members. These are state, uh, state firearms. If you look at the free state, we see 16, and other 10 members did not have firearms. This means that these are members who were involved in domestic violence, but they did not have firearms issued to them, which is what we call SAP 108. In other words, they did not have it 24 hours in their possession. 
That gives us a total of 26 uh, from Free State. In Gauteng, there were 17 firearms that were seized from the members, and nine members did not have a firearm. But there were also two members who had their own private, private license firearm. Those firearms were also seized. And that gives us a total of 28 firearms from Gauteng. In Wazulu Natal, there were six firearms that were seized from members, and that gives us a total of six uh, overall. The other province had small numbers. Limpopo had two uh, firearms that were seized. Pumalang had four firearms that were seized from the members. Uh, Northern Cape had two firearms that were seized. Number of members who did not have a firearm was one. That gives us a total of three. Northwest had only one firearm that was seized uh, from a, a CPS member. Number of members who did not have a firearm in Northwest was two. That gives us a total of three. And then Western Cape, 26 uh, firearms were seized from the members, and 50 did not have firearms issued to them. That gives us a total of 76, which means that 75 firearms were seized from uh, SAPS members who were alleged perpetrators of domestic violence. Uh, 75 were state firearms and two were private firearms. That gives us a total of 77 firearms. You can go to the next one. <clears throat> This is just a breakdown to say we had a total of 147 alleged perpetrators who are members of SAPS. And uh, the number of state firearms that were seized from those members is 75 and two private firearms. The other 72 were members who were not issued with, the, with any firearms. So this is just to give us a breakdown, which means it's a total of 77 firearms, including two private firearms that were seized from the members. You can go to the next one. The number of state firearms seized from members, if we look at the breakdown per province of just the state firearms, this is the breakdown. We can see Free State 16, Gauteng 17, KZN 6, and the other provinces is 4 and below, with Western Cape highest of 26. You can go to the next one. Now, talking about the monitoring, which is also a requirement in terms of the Act to monitor our stations, uh, the capacity building sessions are held with the members across the country. What we have as a result of the domestic violence legislation, we also have national instructions, which serves as the guideline for the members at the station level. So the capacity building is done to provide that guidance for members in terms of how to comply with the act uh, and what the process entailed and what are the documents that needs to be kept at the police station and how do we file protection orders, et cetera, et cetera. So those capacity buildings are ongoing. They are done by the department. We also do station compliance visits as well, which is basically inspections going and checking these registers. Some of these complaints that we are reporting on, they are picked up during that process, uh, but also the, the oversight bodies such as civilian secretariat, they also do those inspections at stations as well to see that we are complying with the act. Where there are non-compliance behaviors, uh, if it's a minor thing, we rectify it immediately at the station. Uh, but if it's a serious matter, then we then record it appropriately and, and conduct investigations where, where it's necessary. Members are also encouraged during the station lectures, as well as on and off duty parades, uh, in terms of compliance with all the domestic violence related uh, issues, as well as the act. We are also having a joint compliance forum um, a provincial and national level with the civilian secretariat for, for police as, as, as a department, whereby we look at broader issues and challenges and, and, and respond to them accordingly as, as they arise. You can go to the next one. 
In terms of the training, uh, the training is also one of the critical ones, uh, Honorable Chair, uh, because we also do get some concerns around the issues of training. What we want to report this morning is that uh, in terms of our basic training, Domestic Violence Act is also part of the training. That means that the members who are trained now, at least from 2010 and onward, uh, are also trained in terms of Domestic Violence Act. So they come out of the college already skilled in terms of that, uh, in terms of those legislations. But over and above that, for in-service training or continuous training, our members are also trained on domestic violence learning program, uh, domestic violence trained trainer course, because the, 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 the stations are widespread and members are spread all over. Uh, we also train, train the trainers so that they can go out and train other members on the issues of domestic violence. We also have national uh, victim empowerment training programs. Uh, we also have uh, uh, programs on first responders to sexual offenses where we train the frontline members because we tend to receive complaints from the frontline side of, of, uh, of domestic violence where members are not, uh, where the members, where, where the victims tend to report that they are not treated when, when they come to the station. So we also have a training in terms of, the, of those responders. But we also have training in terms of the vulnerable children as well and all other vulnerable groups, including the elderly and, and other uh, vulnerable groups such as LGBTIQs and, and other relevant groups. So these are the training programs that, that we have. But we just want to stress on the issue of the training that uh, all, the, all the officers that go through the college now are, are trained in terms of the domestic violence and sexual offenses. You can go to the next one. In terms of the public ed education and awareness, we run continuous, our provinces are doing uh, public education awareness on continuous basis uh, to address gender-based violence. We also have our national uh, outreach programs as well, where we also uh, empower the communities in terms of the gender-based violence, but also where we create a platform for them to raise any issues uh, about the issues of gender-based violence or treatment at the police station. We also conduct uh, awareness campaigns as well uh, by supporting uh, the national as well as other global events, such as the Youth Month, uh, the Women's Month, uh, Crime Victims' Rights Week, which is in September, Trafficking in Persons Awareness Month, October, 16 Days of Activism. So we also participate in this uh, by engaging in, in, in crime dialogues. We also do door-to-door -door campaigns uh, to, to educate the public. We also have our school safety officers as well who also go to, to schools to raise the awareness among the, among the children in terms of domestic violence as well as sexual, sexual offenses. So these are the campaigns that we do as part of raising awareness but also educating uh, the public in terms of reporting. You can go to the next one. <clears throat> In terms of uh, continuous improvement on monitoring, um, in terms of implementation of the domestic violence, uh, we are strengthening our joint compliance forum. As I indicated that the civilian secretariat is an oversight body that oversee that we are complying with, with, with the legislation. So we have a structured forum with them where we share all the findings as well as the challenges and, find, and try to find the solutions collectively. Secondly, we've also established a national GPV steering committee at a, at a head office level, as well as at provincial level. And the reason for that is to, is to have a structure that can provide direction, but also it can address the issues of backlog around the, 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 the DNA analysis reports and the stuff, 
provide direction in terms of training of, of our members. It also provides direction in terms of ensuring that we provide all the facilities, the victim-friendly facilities at, at a local station. But below that, we also have a, an interdivisional forum where collectively as divisions, we, we look at the implementation side. How do we implement all these things? How do we respond to all the complaints that are received? Uh, and, and one of the things that came in, of course, is the implementation of that gender-based violence desk to try to minimize or reduce the complaints that we receive from, uh, from the victims. But we also have a monthly mon monitoring platform uh, looking at the 30 GPV areas where we meet with the coordinators from those particular stations and look at what plans do they have, what are the issues that are coming, and the changes in terms of the number of reported domestic violence cases. So that's the, that's the focus, the priority that you are putting in those, in those particular top 30 stations, Chair. If you can go to the next slide. <clears throat> can you go to the next slide? This slide, uh, Chair, it's uh, summarizing the victim-friendly rooms as one of the facilities that was created to make sure that we promote access uh, into our services. So we're saying that at the time of the reporting, we had 1,155 police stations and a total of 1,014 police stations have victim-friendly facilities. That means that those are the stations where the facilities, they are visible facilities, uh, uh, VFR, as we call it, victim-friendly rooms. The other 141 police stations, they don't have a visible or physical victim-friendly room, but they're they using alternative spaces or alternative rooms for them to attend uh, to the victims of domestic, domestic violence. But over and above that, we also have victim-friendly rooms which are attached to the units, whether it's FCS unit or satellite police stations or OR Tambo, for instance. And so if you look at the table below there, it, it's a breakdown, 1,155 police stations, and then 1,014, those are the stations with a fully-fledged victim-friendly room, and then when you look at the units and satellites, it's about 88 uh, victim-friendly rooms. So these are the units that we have in OR Tambo, we have under the FCS and other contact points or satellite points. And then the last block, it shows that uh, 141 is the one that we don't have the victim-friendly room. But in those cases, we have the alternative rooms that we are utilizing to make sure that we attend to the victims of, of domestic violence and other serious cases when they come to the station. You can move to the next slide. <clears throat> when we look at the broader challenges uh, relating to domestic violence is that uh, police stations, some police stations have a very limited space to establish a victim-friendly room. So we are looking in terms of uh, alternative spaces for, for, for those particular cases, but we're having challenge in terms of the space. Uh, some of the buildings as well cannot be renovated. Uh, either it's because they are privately owned, which means we are renting, we cannot make changes the way that we wish. In those cases as well, we are looking at alternative, alternative spaces as well. But I must indicate that uh, when, when it comes to the, to the new stations, I think we, we don't necessarily have a problem with the new stations because those, those facilities will already be available. But I think I must also indicate that Currently, as, as a department, through our supply chain, uh, they are working on a, on, a, on a contract 
to provide uh, these victim-friendly facilities in those 141 police stations that I spoke about. Uh, obviously, they're not going to provide in all 141 uh, within a year, but they are working on the process to make sure that we can provide those facilities in those outstanding stations. And the other challenge uh, is the training of our SAPS members during the reporting period. There was no training that was going on. Uh, so although there were plans to capacitate our FCS unit, which is specializing on these cases, but the process was a little bit very slow because there was no training that was going on. You can go to the next slide. <clears throat> Some of the recommendations to improve things that we are working on, uh, we, we are intensifying our compliance inspections and capacity building of, of, of our members. Uh, to ensure that there is absolute compliance with the legislation. We're also prioritizing the training of SAPS members as, as first responders. As I indicated, Chair, that complaints tend to come from that first instance when the, when the, when the case is reported. So intensifying training in terms of, of that level as well. We're also going to continue to ensure that we strengthen our consequence management, as we indicated in the previous report, that for each and every complaint, uh, there is an outcome or there is a decision that is taken to deal with those particular matters. We also want to also going to intensify our education and awareness. This one is focusing on the community side because we want to encourage the members of the community to, to, to report cases as much as much as possible. We're also going to strengthen the functionality of the provincial forums uh, with all relevant stakeholders. Uh, we, as I said, we established provincial GPV committees but we want to make sure that they, they work more with other civil society at, at a local level so that we can make sure that we, we don't expose any, any victim to any secondary victimization, as is always uh, uh, reported in some cases. If we can go to the next one. Okay, let's go to, yes. This one, Chair, I'm not going to go through it, but just to indicate that as part of the monitoring during the reporting period, these are the stations that we visited to check their the compliance. If we can just browse through these two next slides uh, without, uh, without going through. Yes, we can go through the next one. Yes, so these are the stations. They are total in 22 that we did during the reporting period. Let's go to the next slide. In terms of the GPV desk, uh, Honorable Chair, we, we had a plan last year uh, which was categorized into three phases. The first phase was focusing on the top 30 uh, hotspot areas, as well as the Western Cape, all the stations. Then the second phase, we focus on top 30 per each province, which was uh, uh, due on the 31st of December. And the last phase was to do the remainder of the station. Uh, Chair, I want to report that uh, all, all the stations have, have the desk established by the end of the financial year, last financial year. We are now in the process to review the function and the structure of, of this desk. And then the, the initial guidelines were provided in terms of how they should operate, but we'll continue to provide them a guideline uh, as we progress or as we do the evaluation in the current year, as well as providing a, a capacity building. I just want to report, Chair, on, on this, this particular point to say that when we say there is a desk, our stations are not the same in terms of size, but they are also not the same in terms of the availability of facilities. Therefore, in some stations, when we say there's a desk, it does not mean that there will be a physical desk, but it means that there is a dedicated resource 
that will support all the domestic violence related matters. So I just wanted to, to indicate that, that you may not necessarily find a desk that is visible that you see uh, because of the space issues and other facilities issues, but there will be a member that is dedicated uh, to support the victims as, as they come through. But in some stations where the facilities are there, we are working on the process to make sure that they are identifiable. We're looking at the possibility of providing the necessary signage and other guiding and so on. And I want to appeal, uh, Honorable Chair, to say that uh, since this is a new, a new concept, uh, that uh, we are also refining it as, as, as we go along. Thank you very much. You can move to the last slide. <clears throat> I think the last slide, uh, Chair, is to just outline the, the, the budget um, over and above the other budget that is allocated. This is an additional budget to make sure that we can deal with specific issues uh, for all the provinces. As we could see the breakdown, uh, we, we allocated, we allocated uh, 100 million uh, for GPV-related matters. That will cover the capacitation uh, of FCS units where there are some physical resources required, victim-friendly facilities, uh, the, the training of, of our officers, the uh, community awareness and, and, and other um, public education programs that will take place, inspections and compliance, and the support for any other national uh, campaigns that, uh, that we are undertaking. Chair, I think that is, that is the last slide. The only thing that I want to indicate, Chair, which is not necessarily on this, on this presentation, is also around the, the children, as we know that uh, there are some amendments in terms, of the, in terms of the act, as far as the children are concerned. So we're currently revising or revising our national instructions uh, to, to align it uh, as we do with all the new legislation. We're aligning our national instructions to, to guide our members in terms of, of uh, managing the issues of children. But in the main, the main thing that was a big amendment was around the capacity for the children where they are changing a capacity for criminal capacity from 10 to 12. So we are busy with the national instruction to make sure that our members are guided properly. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, I, I submit. Uh, thank you very much for that presentation. Uh, Deputy Minister, would you like to conclude? National Commissioner, the opportunity is yours before I take hands. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. I uh, do not have further comments. That is uh, our presentation. And uh, with regard to the budget that we gave to provinces, it is for the purpose that we indicated. Uh, it is up to the provincial commissioner to divide it amongst both reactive, that is your FCS, as well as for VISPOL. And uh, they submitted, they are submitting plans with regard to how they're going to use it for those specific functions as you have seen. Mm -hmm. It is not intended for, it's not a capital budget for buildings, but things like your furniture or any other material that will be required in the victim-friendly uh, rooms. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, thank you, National Commissioner. Um, Deputy Minister? No, th thanks, Chair. Uh, I Just to indicate that uh, the 
issues that uh, General Matonsi spoke to, we will uh, submit an addendum to the committee so that it is uh, become part of our our presentation. Uh, but otherwise, we we are happy with what has been presented here. Thanks, thanks, uh, Chairperson and members of the committee. Thank you very much, um, honourable members. You uh, and um, the you indicated that you do one presentation, uh, honourable Deputy Minister. I have apologies from honourable Grunewald, and uh, Sheikhi Mam will leave at ten. Uh, could I have an indication of hands now from the committee members, um, Sheikhi Mam? Any further hands? Uh, Sheikhi Mam, Blanche, and then Marekwa. In that order, uh, Shembeni. Start, you may start, Honorable Sheikhi Mam. Okay, good morning. Thank you, Chairperson, and good morning to the team, the National Commission and your team. Yeah, I, I see you talk about training. Uh, and the question I want to ask is, what criteria are you using to recruit uh, these officers, particularly to deal with uh, domestic violence? And the reason why I ask this, because giving them training is one thing, but if they do not have the necessary skills. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if you'll agree with me, but some of these people need specific training like into the field of social work, into the field of psychology, uh, to be able to understand what is dysfunctional families and things. And so that when you provide them with additional training, they will be fully equipped to deal with the challenges that we face uh, on the ground, particularly with domestic violence. Because if you're just going to give them training and they've got no expertise and skills in that particular field, then it's difficult. And I think it is for that reason that I at one stage asked whether we should not be introducing some of these subjects in school at, at, at curriculum level so that when they finish matric, they could specialize in these particular fields. That's the first thing. I like the idea of your school's campaign, but it would look like that you are the only department that's doing the school's campaign. Should this not be a coordinated effort with social development and other and basic education, other role players that should be working with you? Now, I want you to be very honest about one thing. I've had a chat with one of your provincial commissioners who tends to agree with me yesterday. Is the uh, uh, community policing forums and the neighborhood watch, are they really helping? you in terms of the fight against domestic violence and gender-based violence. It looks like that all we have is a level, a, an avenue for communication. And yet we find there's a rise in gender-based violence cases in the country. And the question we're asking, if you are supposed to be the eyes and ears of the community working with the law enforcement, how is it that we only find out most of these cases when the damage is done, either somebody is raped or murdered so, so that's my concern. And lastly, now with all the intervention, and it looks like the South African police service is on its own when it comes to this, we're still having a rise. What do you believe we should do differently? I'm not sure whether it's only money that can make the difference, but a coordinated effort 
to try and prevent this gender-based violence. In other words, as identifying problem areas before they are too late. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Sheikh Imam. Honorable Tablanche. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, let me start by thanking the Deputy Minister and uh, the National Commissioner and the team for this presentation. I really found it to be very informative. And um, I'm glad to see what is, you know, that there are things happening in that environment. I'm really quite sort of, you know, I'm really happy to see that. Jefferson, my first question is, you know, we have heard about, and you know, I know those things, but I've heard about, you know, the dedicated desks, and then obviously then again also, you know, there's um, uh, victim-friendly rooms. And I think I just need, you know, some more explanation on that, because, you know, we also heard that the desk is not necessarily a desk, and it can only be a person, uh, and, you know, it was mentioned some resource. Now, you know, I want clarity on that resource part. What exactly is meant by the resource, and how how is it uh, available, and especially after hours and, you know, in the rural areas? Jefferson, my second question is, you also heard that 89 SAPS members were convicted of, you know, certain offences in this regard. And my question is, you know, if we say convicted, is that now for criminal sort of cases or what? what is this conviction about? And if it is criminal, what happened to those members? Um, then this, um, we also heard about inspections too, you know, and that is obviously important to ensure that we have compliance my question is, who's doing this inspections? Are from what levels are uh, you know the inspections done? And um, I really just need some clarity on that as well. Then an interesting phenomenon, you know, we we tend to throw around, you know, the question of the top thirty this and the top thirty that. What is the significance of the top thirty? It's now on national basis, it's on provincial basis. Is there something that um, tells us that it must be 30 or how do we arrive at that number? Chairperson, then uh, 141 police stations, we heard that supply chain is apparently still working on a plan with possible service providers or whatever the case may be. And uh, I just need to get some indication what exactly are they working on. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much. Honorable Marekwa. Uh, good morning, Chairperson. Good morning, uh, Deputy Minister, the National Commissioner members of the committee, including uh, the team that is uh, with the commissioner on this platform today. Chairperson, I'm gonna request to switch off my video because of network uh, issues around where I am now. 
Is it okay? Uh, understood. We all are having a load shedding or some other problem. Uh, you may switch off your video camera. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson and honorable members, uh, let me also start by welcoming and appreciating the presentation from the SAPS this morning. Also to indicate that uh, it is really heartwarming to get such presentation and the steps that they have taken in making sure that they, they address a number of issues that they were mandated by the committee. But uh, Chairperson, looking at the high numbers, especially Western Cape, uh, Free State and the other province, that the numbers are too high. And uh, knowing the issues around Cape Town, uh, the gang violence and the environment where members are staying or operating, uh, I want to check with the SAPS in terms of the work that they do. I know that they reported that they, they, there are cases that are reported against the members as perpetrators, but as, have they gone to check in terms of the environment where they are staying and also when they attend to these cases of members that are, that are reported to have uh, committed uh, gender-based violence or domestic violence, the counseling that they give to the member, is it also including the family that they are living with? Because if a member stays with people, it, it, it ends up affecting the members. Now you may attend to the member as your employee, but not attending to the people that are very close to him when he goes back home and the necessary counseling being given because the member might give signs that he has recovered, he or she has recovered, but when they go home, those who have not recovered from that trauma or whatever incident, they tend to throw it back at him. So I think it is important that as we counsel, we also include the family or those immediate family members that are staying with a particular member also a concern is around those members who are also victim of uh, gender-based violence. The same, I think, needs to happen. As much as we do the investigation and take the firearm, and, but the environment where the person stays might be, a big might be playing a very big influence in their behavior and affecting them psychologically and otherwise. So I think we need to include the family, the immediate family in terms of the counseling so that when we say that we have done our work as the police, it is really showing that you know, the member and the family are okay, are at peace and everything. Because charging will not solve many of the issues that they confront. They are confronted with when they go back home to their families or the environment where they live in. So I think that needs also to be given attention, the counseling for both the member and the family, their immediate families. Also, on the, I appreciate the fact that we have, uh, the police have uh, established the gender desks. It's, it's, it's a good step to have in all police stations because members who have uh, these issues of uh, want to report gender-based violence to the police, it is easy when they are given a person to say, Good, this person will handle your matter. But above that, I want also to request that the SAPS should look into the issue of uh, having peer counselors 
or yeah, peer counselors, because most members, when they are confronted by challenges personally, it is very difficult for some to go to an officer or a high ranking person to, or their supervisors to say, I've got this challenge, but it becomes easy for them to talk to their peers to say, but hey, I've got this challenge and this is happening with me or at home. So I think we need to also encourage the SAPS to look into training more peer counselors as much as we've got the gender desk, but also to uh, the desk that deals with gender-based violence and domestic violence, but peer counselors uh, will be needed, especially per shift, because when you have a, a person sitting on the gender desk, uh, on the gender-based violence desk during the day, eight to four, seven to four, and then night shift, there's nobody there, then it becomes a problem. So I think maybe every shift to have somebody who will be able to can talk to a member to can pick up also when they see that their colleague is not in a good shape this morning to check and talk to them because sometimes we see them not being okay and we are like, oh, okay, and nobody cares to ask and check on their peers to check what is wrong. So I think if we can have that a, a level of training also, it will assist greatly in the police. And the continuous debriefing of members, because members of the police are faced by a serious a crimes that is happening in our, in our communities. They go to scenes that where... They have to just be brave, you know, put a brave face and do what they are supposed to be doing on a daily basis. But when they go back home, those things deal with them. So I think continuous uh, debriefing, it is mentioned in the presentation, it needs to really happen. And to actually all members, because you don't know next tomorrow who are you going to send to a particular crime scene. So it is very important that those debriefings take place during a on and off a, a, duty uh, as and when they report on duty and off duty they need to be checked and uh, debriefed to say they are all okay and before they go home to their families and their life be good for them because they the environment out there nowadays chairperson we there are serious things happening to pick up bodies of a uh, young men and women dead on the streets is not an easy task so we need to really take care of the police and make sure that they are able to perform their duties to the best of their abilities thank you chairperson uh, thank you very much honorable marekwa honorable members i would like to acknowledge the presence of our honorable minister honorable minister thank you very much for joining us immediately after cabinet cabinet ended earlier uh, thank you very much also for the budget speech yesterday to all the members who participated. Uh, thank you very much. Honorable Minister, uh, I'll give you an opportunity to speak once I have taken all the questions. I, um, I probably... Minister? No, thanks, Chair. Uh, I'll wait for that time. Thanks, Chair. And uh, thanks for... The cabinet was pretty short, so wanted to rush and join the portfolio committee. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Honorable Minister, the Civilian Secretariat still has to do their presentation, but I will um, allow you to speak after these questions have been put to uh, the committee. I have uh, now noted Honorable 
Shembeni and then Honorable Meshu. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, good morning, uh, Honorable Minister, Deputy Minister, uh, the National Commissioner and uh, his management. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't have much. Uh, almost uh, Honorable Morago has covered me in most of the uh, the questions and uh, inputs, like for the counselling of members that are working under such stressful conditions. Uh, I think that is very, very much important. But most importantly, I think our members must be uh, taught that they are not prosecutors or judges or magistrates. When a person comes to report gender-based violence, they must not decide as to whether a person must do yes. It is important to listen to what is happening or what has happened before they open a case or whatsoever. But I think it is important to go on with the case when a person wants to open a case and open a case, not to say, I know this one is easy, go back, go and talk to your husband, go and talk to your wife and whatever. I think this is one thing that leads to uh, deaths and other things that we see. Now, my question is how many GBV desks have been established? Because according to the information I'm having, 286 were established, 869 police stations were still in process of establishing the desks. But on the information or evidence ahead during the standing committee on appropriations on the 20th, that is last week of May 2022, suggests that these GBV desks are either not established despite the report of the SAPS or they are not functional. Number two, looking at the members, the perpetrators, so to say, that maybe are still undergoing uh, trials or whatever uh, actions have been taken against them. Where are they? Where are they placed in the SAPS? Because if you may find out that this is a perpetrator of gender-based violence and is placed at the CSC, that is the Community Service Center, where everybody comes to report cases, what are you expecting from that member when a woman comes to report a case of gender-based violence? What are we expecting from that member? Are we expecting any good thing from him or her against the person who's reporting? No. So what is the SAPS doing? Why still waiting for the outcomes on those perpetrators? What is happening? Another point as to, we want to find out as to how many members that is police against police that is a perpetrator and a victim whereby might be the police, it's a husband, the, 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 I mean, the, the perpetrator is the husband. The victim uh, is also a, a, a police member. 
and this other one is a policeman. How many of those cases do we have in the SAPS? Because I've noticed Free State, Western Cape, we've got a high number of these perpetrators and victims. So I want to check, is this thing not happening within us? That is member to member or what? That is what I wanted to find out from the SAPS. I think those are my questions. The counseling, I think I've mentioned that. Thank you very much, Jefferson. Thank you. Thank you very much, Shimbeni. Honorable Meshu. Thank you, Chairperson. And good morning to Minister, Deputy Minister, and all honorable members. I have three or four questions. The first one, it's about failure to complete the 508A. Um, <clears throat> I realize some people are given verbal warnings, and in some cases, um, what happened is deemed not to be serious. My question there is how do you define, can we be given an example of what serious is? Because when a person comes to report a matter to them, it is serious. So how do the members come to the conclusion that this matter is serious and that was not serious when the reporting is taking place? And secondly, when we look at the, the budget allocations for GBV, GBV incidents, um, the Free State is, has received an average of, well, let me say plus minus more than 8 million rands. As Free State, yes, has been allocated 8 million, 8 million rands. And yet, when we look at the alleged DV perpetrators, we find that Free State has 26 incidents. Now, when Free State has 26 incidents and they are allocated 8 million rands, and then you have the Eastern Cape that has only one incident and yet they are allocated 13 million, more than the free state, when the free state seems to be having more challenges. What is the reason for that? What determines how much a province should get? And the third one, when you select people to be trained, to be domestic violence train the trainer, or to take the train the trainer course, how is the selection done to ensure that you do not, in the number of people who are elected or selected, include people who are also um, involved in domestic violence and maybe they have not been caught yet? I know, obviously, you look at what we have before you. Um, and uh, if you have a member, obviously, who has not been reported or been involved, in domestic violence, it might be more difficult because you might not know what the person is going to do uh, later on. But what are the guiding uh, principles, if there are any, 
to ensure that you do not train people who are going to be abusers themselves. And the last one, um, if my observation is correct, there has been over the past few years, increasing incidents of uh, domestic violence during 16 days of activism campaign. And even when it has become quiet, once you get into these 16 days, then you see men rising against women for reasons that we do not know. So my question on that is, am I, is my observation correct that there is such a pattern? And if yes, what has been done about it? And linked to that is the number of days 16, even when incidents of um, violence are increasing, the number 16 does not change. Is there anything magical in the number 16? Because I would think that when uh, incidents of violence are increasing, maybe the number of days to campaign against that has also to be increased. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Honorable Monsieur, the chairperson is attending to something urgent. She requested that I chair in the meantime until she comes back. Um, I see the hands of Honorable Shembeni and the Honorable, oh, Shembeni is gone. Honorable Shaikh, is it a legacy hand? Yes, uh, sorry, sorry, Church uh, Legacy and sorry. I remove. Okay, okay. I think the that was the last hand, Honorable, the hand of uh, Honorable Mishwe. Can I give it back to the SAPS? I don't know whether, Minister, you want to come in this time. Chairperson, uh, Deputy Minister was here, maybe I'll listen how far we cover and maybe uh, come late if I think there is something more to say. But uh, I think the Deputy Minister will continue to respond. Thanks. Okay. Deputy Minister and Commissioner. No, th uh, th thanks, Chair. I think in the main, the issues that members have raised we, we are, I will suggest that we allow the operatives to, to talk to, to them. Uh, thank you very much. National Commission, through the National Commission. Thanks. Okay. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson and Honorable Members. Uh, on the question of uh, the victim-friendly rooms, the difference between the GPV desk and the victim-friendly rooms. GPV desk is there as a uh, frontline service for members of the public clients as they get into the CSC. They should, they should be able to see a sign where uh, it is written a GPV so that they do not take the normal queue of uh, getting assistance at a police station. Whoever goes to that test, that desk, members in the CSC will know that that specific person require 
this type of service. Whereas the victim-friendly room is a uh, room where the statement is going to be taken preliminary, they will assist the client in the front desk to listen what is the problem once they determine that it is a GPV-related. Then it means that that victim will then take into a victim-friendly room, which will be either inside the police station or in the outside building where further interviews and assistance will be given. So that is the, the difference. The, the significance of the top 30 GBV stations, uh, it was during when uh, the National Strategic Plan on GBV and F was uh, established that the departments, uh, SAPS, Department of Justice, Department of Health, Department of Women, uh, Children, people with disabilities and youth, they came together to come up with a determinant as to which police stations are encountering the most cases, where most cases of GPV related are reported. And then they agreed to say, this, this identified top stations are the ones that uh, they will then put all measures and plans from each department to try and work, have programs there, and they make sure that they uh, fight the GBV in those specific police stations in an integrated manner. It is not to say the rest of the country is left, but it's those police stations that they are countering a lot of GBV a lot. And uh, some of the generators might be alcohol, for example, if you take uh, Orange Farm, it is one of those stations with too much uh, liquor outlets, which uh, it is one of the top in Gauteng. So then we'll embark on activities to see how, uh, together with liquor boards, we reduce that number of uh, uh, liquor outlets, uh, clamp down on those that are illegal, and so on. So th that is the significance of the top 30, to say we start working from there and we follow to the rest of the country. Uh, on the, the number of, uh, yeah, the number of how, how many GBV desks are there. Uh, the last financial year, we were in the process of establishing the GBV desk, Honorable uh, Shimbeni. Uh, what we are doing now is to go and audit. We are aware of uh, the Meta raised about non-availability of GBV desks. Uh, all provinces indicate that they have established, but we are now, uh, that is the SAPS division, Bispol, together with the civilian secretary to audit as to what is it that is there on the ground, just to verify and make sure that as provinces said they have established, is it indeed true that they all have established in at all those police stations. Uh, there is a question also on, let me see. Uh, yeah, in terms of, uh, I think it's the question by Honorable Meishwe in terms of a free state compared to the Eastern Cape. Uh, in terms of the Domestic Violence Act, 
what we are reporting on is prescribed in terms of the law, uh, you'd see that what we have reported, there is nowhere where we report about the number of domestic violence incidents as per the register of each police stations. That information, it is not here. We only report on what the law requires us to report. That is now in terms of where members of SABs fail to do certain things. So the comparison between Free State and Eastern Cape is not about the number of incidents. The budget is based on how many incidents happen in a specific province. That's why you'll see the amount of money differs and the number of problems we encounter from those problems from GBV. But uh, what is the figures that are on this presentation is more where police members have failed to do certain things. Uh, it's, not, it's not linked to the budget because the budget is linked to more assisting the GBV uh, victims. Uh, I'll then ask the following to also add on. Uh, firstly, the HRM, General Nzie, will be followed by General Zulu on the matter of training and will be followed by supply chain, Major General uh, Hankins. Uh, she will be followed by Lieutenant General Salah from this board. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. And maybe before that, the 16 days of activism, as uh, Honorable Mishra have uh, asked, why 16 days? Uh, as you as are aware, we, we do the work right through 365 days a year uh, at the, the, all the police stations. But however, remember that government did take a decision to say the 16 days in each year is solely uh, put aside for that specific uh, uh, role that during that 16 days of activism, as government will all in an integrated manner focus on GBV. It is not SAP's determination, but we do our work 365 days a year. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. And then I'll hand over to General Nzie uh, uh, of HRM to respond. Thanks, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Chair, and greetings to you, Honorable Chair, greetings to all the Honorable Members, our Minister of Police, our Deputy Minister of Police, National Commissioner, the Acting Head of the CSPS, and all the colleagues that are in the platform. Um, Lieutenant General Insia Chair, the Divisional Commissioner responsible for Human Resource Management in the SAPS, I'll be responding to all the questions that were raised by Honorable Members uh, that are within the human resource management environment. Starting with the first one, Chairperson, the question that was asked by Honorable Member Sheikh Imam, pertaining to how do we recruit uh, police officers that are working within the domestic violence environment? And also uh, the training thereof. I think the part of the training, General Zulu will cover that uh, after I've given my inputs. In as far as the recruitment of these officials are concerned, Chair, uh, they are being recruited as normal police officers. So they have to follow all the requirements and uh, co comply with all the requirements and follow all the processes or the steps that we have set on in our recruitment strategy. The first one, chairperson, is the need to have metric. 
and we are subjecting all of them to a psychometric assessment. And the importance of the psychometric assessment, it gives us the results as to whether you know, police officers that joins the police are fit to become police officers or not. So all our police officers are subjected to a psychometric test and we are also subjecting them to an integrity test. And if they don't make it in terms of the psychometric test as well as the integrity test, they don't get a space in the SAPS. And we further subject them to medical assessment, which has been handled by the health risk manager is a private um, people. They are professionals. They are uh, doing this medical assessment for the SAPS. And thereafter, they undergo the training, which is provided by the Division Human Resource Development. And thereafter, when they are done or when they have been declared competent as police officers, they are deployed at different police stations. And members, some of them, they choose to work with domestic violence. Others will go to other environments. So uh, this is how we choose, you know, or how we select our police officers. It's a normal recruitment uh, process that we follow in the SAPS. The second question that was raised by Honorable Marekwa in terms of the services of EHW, whether are they being offered to our members as well as to their family members? Yes, we do offer our services, all our EHW services. We offer them to all our police officers, including the family members, their family members. But in this specific case, I think Honorable Marek was specific to these cases. Um, I just need to go deeper, Honorable Marekwa, and verify if these members that received counseling by EHW, whether this counseling was also extended to their family members. If not, it means that we need to strengthen our support in this case to our family members. But I also need to indicate that within our EHW, we do have both proactive as well as reactive programs. Our proactive programs are uh, towards all our police officers, including those that are perpetrators, where we are raising awareness, where we are saying to them uh, they shouldn't do what they are doing, as well as being reactive. We are being reactive in terms of the perpetrators as well, uh, where we take steps against them. And we are also reactive to the victims of domestic violence, where our members are becoming victims, where we offer uh, EHW services. I've noted uh, your comment, Honorable Marekwa, and I fully support it in terms of the peer counselors that we need to strengthen our peer counselors. And I think this input will be taken and will make sure that we do have enough peer counselors. And it is true, Honorable Marekwa, that sometimes our members, it's easy for them you know, to communicate with their peers, you know, than to go to their supervisors. So this one, we take it as a good input and we'll strengthen it and we'll work it towards our, our programs. Then the, the last one, uh, which was also shared by Honorable Shembeni, is the debriefing of our members. Continuous debriefing. Uh, it is a standing agenda uh, on the program of all our EHW pro uh, pro professionals that our members must be debriefed after every incident. Uh, yes, currently there are competing priorities in terms of our establishment. We don't have good numbers in our EHW. We're only having about 621 professionals between chaplains, social workers, psychologists, uh, as well as our quality of work life. There are only 621 around the country and they're servicing an establishment of about 180,000. Um, we will be focusing in this financial year to increase this capacity because there is a high demand of improving our EHW services, you know, that we are rendering to our police officers. So we'll try to improve in terms of increasing the numbers and making sure that um, EHW reaches all the members uh, in the organization that requires their services. And we're also going to go further in terms of saying to EHW professionals, 
Don't sit in your office and wait, you know, for a member to come to you or don't sit in your office and wait for the commander to refer a member to you. You need to go out. You need to go and check the OB entries and check if there were incidents and you need to target those members that might need your services because some of the members, they are not eager, you know, to even go to our EHW professionals. Now we want our EHW professionals to move away from their offices and to go to where our members are so that our members can enjoy uh, the services that they are offering. Those are the only questions, uh, Chair, that were relating to human resource management and uh, the others uh, my colleagues will add up. Thank you very much, Chair. Thanks, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, Lieutenant General Zulu. Thank you, uh, Chairperson, Honorable Members, Deputy Minister, and National Commissioner, all protocols observed. Oh, we are also joined by the minister. Thank you, minister. I will uh, add on the first question uh, in regarding the uh, recruitment and the training of members in terms of domestic violence. The learning program that we are utilizing, which is uh, covering the domestic violence, we are very strong in, in uh, explaining the legislative and policies, as well as the directives that guides the, how the police should address the issues around the uh, uh, domestic violence. As part of uh, ensuring that we understand better and the people that deal with the domestic violence, they understand the social and the psychological context of domestic violence. Towards the domestic violence. And then we are also able to look in terms of what causes the dynamics in terms of domestic violence and both are, uh, we look in terms of the dynamic psychologically as well as uh, socially, uh, 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 psychological and social context of it. And uh, as we continue also in, in dealing with domestic violence, we also look to say how should the members attain to the complaint of domestic violence? And then uh, we also explain the responsibilities because each and everyone has got a responsibility in the chain of South Africa's police service to play a role. So we also explain what is their role and what they're supposed to do. And the honorable member uh, uh, highlighted the issues of uh, the members not to be the prosecutors and uh, be judgmental as they deal with this case. Since that is where we also emphasize that as police officers, uh, what is expected is also where we also link the issues of human rights issues as we deal with a uh, uh, particular of attending a complaint of domestic violence. We further also look in terms of assisting the victim of domestic violence. Some of the domestic violence uh, survivors or the victims, they will need the shelter where they will be taken to. So it is also our responsibility. So as, as part of training, we also assist them to say how to deal with those uh, issues and even like your issues related to medical evidence and the protection order that you also uh, deal with it during the training. We also look on the administrative functions, which are, I think uh, one of the slides was talk, uh, talking about uh, the misconduct, which uh, we, we, we highlighted that uh, uh, our members were found on, like complete, uh, the completion of the domestic violence report uh, which is uh, sub uh, 508 uh, uh, A form, which we also uh, I mean assess them how to complete them uh, those uh, I mean uh, uh, type of documents as well as the registers that are necessary 
and the occurrence book will also how to synchronize your, your pocketbook, your, your, your occurrence book, and then even the case that will be opened on that particular uh, I mean, time. So we also emphasize on that one. We further focus, uh, I mean, there's a chapter or the module also that looks on the failure to comply with the domestic acts. We don't just trade them. We also, we say, if you don't comply as a police officer with what is expect, expected for you, what then will be the repercussions on that matter? We also deal with the trend, with the issues of non-compliance and what will be then the, the results if the people they are not uh, I mean doing their way. That's why the statistics are seeing uh, seeing that that at the end, if you did not do what you're expected to do, this is what is going to happen. That is in a nutshell, I can say that what we are presenting to after they've been recruited and then to understand exactly the act and how to implement the act. And there is one other question that there uh, was an honorable member um, asked. Uh, it was about the selection of the trainers that are presenting the domestic violence learning program. The South African Police uh, Services Department, they put a standing operating procedure that was crafted for solely to identify exactly who can be the trainer in the SAPS. The environment of SAPS, it's very, uh, I mean, uh, sensitive, and then everybody that must go there, you must be really, really, uh, I mean, ready to do that. Much as it is done at the entry level when we recruit our learners, as uh, my colleague General Sia has uh, alluded on those issues. Also now, when they come to the training, we still recruit them in terms of you, you, we, we advertise for the people that want to be the trainers, we follow the, the, the process in terms of interviewing and part of the interviewing also there's the issue of the referral and as we also that you check as SOP indicate you also check if this person is, does not have a criminal record if this person is not was not previously uh, I mean registered on the domestic uh, domestic violence and uh, sexual offenses all those screenings we also undergo that before the trainers they become uh, the trainers in the yeah. in the environment. That is the selection process, which makes sure that uh, all the people that are coming as the trainers in the environment of the SAPS are ready and they are also uh, able to do their work without uh, uh, doing it. With, uh, I mean, uh, fail, without failing to do it according as specified. Thank you, uh, thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, National Commissioner Nick. Thanks, Honorable Chair, uh, Major General Hankins from Supply Chain. Uh, good morning, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members, our Minister, uh, Deputy my, Minister. My apologies, uh, my apologies, General. There's a noise at the back. Could we just uh, see what that noise is? Uh, there's good a morning, noise Chair. there. Thanks, you may continue. Good morning, Chairperson. Good morning to the honourable members, uh, our Minister, our Deputy Minister, National Commissioner and all senior managers. Chairperson, I will respond to the question of Honourable Todd Blanche with regards to the remaining 141 stations that must still receive victim-friendly facilities. I want to start off by indicating, Chair, these are all non-devolved uh, facilities. We have received permission from the Department of Public Works for us to execute the projects. Uh, General, the, it, uh, uh, Chairperson, the placement of a victim-friendly facility is contained on our SAP's infrastructure development plan for the 141. 
The plan is from 2020 to 2025. I can indicate here that our target for this financial year will be placement on finalizing of 20. The following year will be 60. The year thereafter, 52, and the remaining two in the last year. Chairperson, I want to indicate that the park home, it's a, the victim friendly facility is a park home structure, which is designed in line with the required standards. Uh, Chair, it will have counseling, private counseling rooms, overnight accommodation, ablution facilities, and then office space for our members. We also provide furniture, uh, chairperson, and we ensure that the, there's toiletries available for our victims. And then this park home chairperson is connected then to the basic services at the police station where water and electricity is connected. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, uh, General Masimula. Back to you. Thanks, Honorable Chairperson and Lieutenant General Mishala from Police Foreign Operations. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, uh, Honorable Minister, Honorable DM, and the National Commissioner, all protocol observed. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, um, one of the questions that was was asked by Honorable Member um, Sheikh Imam about the, whether the, are we involving the Department of Basic Education and uh, Social Development in our schools campaign. Yes, we are not only limited to those two departments, but we also involve as, as, as many government departments as possible, like your health, on, uh, and also including uh, civil society at, at, at large. And we'll continue to intensify those efforts um, uh, to ensure that our schools campaign, uh, actually we also have a protocol with the uh, Department of Basic Education, uh, including also uh, with the higher education. Uh, uh, on the question as to whether the CPFs are assisting in the fight against crime, one of the issues that has uh, our, our, our president, His Excellency, the Pre President Cyril Ramaphosa, has actually given a directive through the SON uh, speech that uh, we need to re-establish the CPFs. We're currently undertaking that process to ensure that we reposition uh, uh, the C all the CPFs in all police stations so that they can focus in the main in the fight against crime. And then uh, maybe just to add also Honorable Chairperson on the issue of the the members that are being trained. Uh, my colleague General um, Zulu has, uh, has answered that. So we're working very closely uh, together with our division HRD to ensure that all those members that are actually placed in their reliefs, and preferably females, as we are also aware that the, most of the victims are actually uh, 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 women and children, but also covering also the colleagues, uh, our colleagues in the police that are also males. 
And we also ensure that they are profiled, like General Zulu indicated that there is also interview that are being conducted before actually members get exposed to the training. There was also honorable chairperson and honorable members, um, a question about uh, what, what do we think we can do differently to address uh, gender-based violence? One of the most important steps that as the SAPS, we have actually taken uh, through the, uh, the instruction of the, our minister uh, is that uh, we, one, hence we have the, the further allocation over and above the baseline of the, the provincial budget. Uh, we have allocated uh, a further 100 uh, million and what is also critical uh, for us as the South African Police Service and, and all the service providers is that we also, on a continuous basis, uh, consult with the, the victims of crime so that we can be directed as to what type of service will they expect from us as South African Police Service, including also consultation with our social partners in the civil society, your NGOs, your, your faith-based organizations uh, to ensure and other government departments so that uh, we don't decide on behalf of the victims what type of service is needed. But uh, over and above that, one of the things that we are intensifying is to, is to ensure that the, the compliance inspections by commanders on a daily basis uh, uh, is intensified, especially at station level and also strengthening of the command and control also at that level. Um, there was a question, Honorable Chairperson, uh, from Honorable uh, Carol Blanche, uh, as to the dedicated GBV desks and BFR clarity on resource, whether are we also covering um, uh, the rural areas. Uh, as a South Cape Police Service, we are, our target is is that we are targeting all police stations in the country. Hence, uh, even the establishment of gender-based violence desks were actually reaching out to those stations, including even stations in the rural areas. And we're ensuring that the, uh, the, the resources that are supposed to be made available are also made available, especially to the rural, uh, rural uh, community. And there was also a question about compliance inspection uh, as to what level are we doing it. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, uh, the, the types of compliance inspections that we are conducting, one, uh, we have uh, through our division inspectorate, it's one of the areas that they are also um, uh, 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 ensuring that there is compliance uh, and also from the division visible policing and operations, and um, we also uh, conduct what we call an announced and unannounced uh, compliance inspections, uh, especially to those stations with the high and high number of gender-based violence uh, related cases, uh, to ensure that we actually uh, intensify the compliance uh, at at all levels. But over and above that, uh, we also have our sister. Department, Civilian Secretariat for Police, which is also doing an oversight, including our colleagues also uh, in the provinces from Department of Community Safety.
There was also honorable chairperson and honorable members. A question as to what happens to the members that are actually uh, being subjected to domestic violence. Actually, wh where the members are actually the perpetrators of domestic violence. What we know, we, we do uh, immediately, depending on the seriousness of, of the, 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 the incident, either one, if the member is not suspended, we also ensure that uh, the member is removed from any area uh, which is not, which cannot really expose the member for him or her to be in interaction with our clients, uh, which, which can be both in the land service center and also in our sector vehicles, or if, if it's in the detective side, uh, a member of the FCS, we cannot allow such a member to be also investigating those type of cases. And honorable chairperson, I think those are the, 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 the questions that were, were that I had to answer. I submit. Thank you, thank you, General uh, Masmula. Do you have more? Thanks, uh, honorable chairperson uh, and honorable members, the Minister of Police, General Kele, and the Deputy Minister. Uh, I think that is all the responses we have, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Thanks. Uh, thank, thank you very much. Honorable Deputy Minister. No, thank, <clears throat> thanks, Chair. I'm happy with the responses. And what one can say is that uh, for us to continue with the inroads we are making, we, we, we will need the support of the committee. Mm -hmm because they have a role to play in this regard. And we can only do better if we act together as South Africans to deal with criminality in its, in its totality. Uh, ourselves as police alone, we will not uh, win in this battle. We need uh, your support and the support of society in general. Thank you very much. Uh, members of the public, please desist from writing in the chat group. You are not participants of the meeting. You can only be observers. That is parliamentary practice. Um, Minister, you may comment now. Thank you Thank very you. much, Shapesin. Uh, I've listened, Chair. Shapesin, uh, these meetings help because we, there are suggestions that are made and we implement them that improve policy. Uh, as one, uh, I think is the Honorable Member Maragua of the PA Counseling, which I think is a very good, is a very good one. Also, this, this desk issue was taken from these meetings as we implement it uh, going forward. But Chairperson, if I could be allowed to open the books of lamentations, it, all these things, all will make the, the, this contribution put the shoulder on the wheel. But when you go to these statistics, Chairperson, let's take the statistics of last quarter, October, November, December, 11,000 women raped in, 11, in, in three months exactly 50% of them raped in their own houses 
own homes by the people that are supposed to be protecting them, the fathers, the uncles, the boyfriends, the husbands, the, the stepfathers. It, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a role that will go beyond the police, will be there. For instance, Chairperson, the extra 100 million that we have put, it's also to work in improving the relationship between the police and the communities. But communities, especially the families, Chair, will have to really help us take matters, take matters forward. I'm, I'm reminded, I'll repeat this all the time, of that young woman who was seriously abused, seriously uh, assaulted by the boyfriend, went to the police station, uh, Silverton was not attended to, went to Emamelot, was not attended to. That police officer has been disciplined by the South African Police Service. But that man was arrested. And then speaking to the lady three days later, whom we discovered later that is working for correctional service, we, we discovered she raised the issue that she's no more staying home because the mother has put a pressure on her to withdraw the case against the perpetrator. Now, if families are not helping us to play the role they're supposed to, we have a long walk to walk uh, in trying to deal with these matters. But Chairperson, and my lamentations is to come back to you, the portfolio committee and you as a chair. You have done beautiful thing last week, putting together public works and, uh, and uh, the police. Chairperson, we are suffering as the police on bail issues and the parole issues. We are suffering as the police. Uh, the, the, the baby, uh, six-year-old in Pumalanga, Chairperson, you know that that person who's arrested now has been on bail twice for murder. Now the police will ask the question, what next do we do? Chairperson, a person who shot and killed six people uh, in, in Kailisha, is on 800 rand bail. And that is his fifth bail of serious cases, attempted murder, aggravated robbery and all that. Maybe Jefferson, we have raised it before we raise again. Maybe those sister departments, if you do what you have done with, uh, with uh, public works can help because we don't know what to do with a person who's on six beds. We don't know what to do with a person who's eight beds. And those would be serious issues like murder, like rape, like assault on women. So these are lamentations that we believe that we need to go an extra mile than law enforcement only. The last point on this one, Jefferson, one lady phoned, she was at police station. And she was complaining that she came at two in the morning and was not attended. Fortunately, I was in Deben. I just drove to the police station and I called everybody, the district commissioner, the station commissioner, the provincial commissioner. I called everybody. And the, 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 the person 
was uh, arrested. I asked the police, the police, they say they could not take the statement at two on, with the lady. She, she was on the other side of the, uh, the, the, the water. She was not very much coherent at the time because she had had a lot of it. But they kept her there six. The statement was taken. The person was, was, was arrested and she was taken to the doctor and everything, she was, uh, uh, everything was done. Two days down the line, checking the case, the lady has insisted that the case must be withdrawn. So insisted, we, I, I spoke to her, she insisted that the case must be withdrawn. So these are piling cases of withdrawal after the work has been put. So we are calling everybody to be part of this uh, genesis to deal with the gender-based violence. It can't be only the law enforcement, but society, community, families, friends, everybody must put their shoulder on the wheel. That's a lamentation I wanted to put on the table. Thank you very much, Jefferson. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Honorable Tablanche still has a question which he once answered, but I'm going to take the next presentation, and when he takes his next round of questions, he can repeat his question. Um, Civilian Secretariat, you can now do your presentation, please. Good morning, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, honorable. Uh, yes. Good morning, uh, Mr. Ramaru. Are you introducing it or is the minister introducing it? I think minister will have to introduce it. Uh, minister, could you please introduce the civilian secretariat's presentation? Uh, thanks, Chair. The deputy will do that, Chair. DM, thanks. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, thanks, Minister, for allowing us the moment to introduce the matter to the committee and uh, good day. Uh, I think it's still good morning. Yeah, good morning to members of the committee, uh, acting secretary and your team, uh, national commissioner. Uh, we are presenting the, the, the views that uh, the civilian secretariat has made with regard to the work they have done around the Domestic Violence Act. Uh, in, 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 in the different stations that they have gone to. And in this regard, through you, Chair, if you may allow, I will ask that uh, we allow the Acting Secretary and the team, Mr. Ramaru, to lead us in the presentation of uh, uh, this particular uh, matter, which in a way is also related to what we have been uh, uh, discussing. But over to you, uh, Secretary, through you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, DM, Mr. Amaru. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson, uh, Minister, Deputy Minister, and Honorable uh, Members. Uh, maybe before Ms. Ayanda Tomwana can take us through the presentation, I need just to indicate that we have senior managers from the department and also representatives from the provincial secretariats in attendance. So through you, uh, Honorable Chair, I will ask Ms. Ayanda Tomwana to take us through the presentation. You may continue. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. Amaro. Um, good morning, Honorable Chair. 
and honourable members, and good morning to the Minister and the Deputy Minister, um, to the Acting Secretary, uh, Provincial Heads of, of um, the National Commissioner, and all senior members of the SAPS present in the platform. Um, our presentation covers the periods uh, from April 2021 to September 2021 in terms of the work that has been done by the Civilian Secretariat in monitoring implementation of the Domestic Violence Act by the SAPS. So I will just keep that slide on the presentation overview. The first slide speaks to the background, which was covered by the SAPS in terms of um, the, 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 the mandate from the Domestic Violence Act and the obligations that are placed on the police as well as on the other departments in terms of implementing the Domestic Violence Act. And then in terms of the, the CSPS mandate, it's in line with section two of the CSPS Act of 2011, which mandates us to monitor and evaluate compliance with the Domestic Violence Act and to monitor, recommend, to make recommendations to the police service on disciplinary procedures and measures with regard to non-compliance to the DVA and also provide the minister with regular re uh, reports on compliance by the police thereafter. So we do this work as the national office uh, in conjunction with the provincial secretariats, where we conduct our quality assessments and by visiting police stations using a, a tool that we use to monitor um, and assess the level of compliance and implementation by the respective police stations. During this period, um, which is April to September 2021, we visited, um, we did, we conducted oversight visits um, to a total number of 460. And this was mainly focused on the top 30 high conduct crime police stations. And as you will see in the in the in the slide that is coming, uh, um, the Gauteng province conducted oversights to uh, 268 oversight visits, and that is because they conducted um, visits more than once to some of their stations, but they did uh, visit all their police stations during this period and went back again to monitor further performance in their police stations. Um, and as I've indicated earlier on, we administer a monitoring tool to track progress and also to check whether the recommendations that we make to the police are being implemented by the police um, as part of our oversight. And uh, the main aim of the visit is also to manage and monitor management of non-compliance uh, by the police. Um, in terms of the prevalence of the domestic violence, during this period, 21,839 cases were reported at the stations um, with the Gauteng province recording the high number with 15,723 cases that were reported. So based on this, we made an inference that um, an average of 2,621 cases were reported in Gauteng province alone on a monthly basis during the six month period. And we have observed um, that Gauteng and Western Cape have cons consistently have the highest domestic violence rate in the country. And this can also be seen in other crime categories. So what we also found is a concern as part of our findings was the, was the number of cases that were closed as undetected. Um, during this period, out of the 21,939 reported cases, we found that 2,752 cases, which um, amounts to 12.5%, were closed as undetected. And we also found that 170 cases were closed as unfounded, which were um, the case of false reporting. And um, that graph just uh, shows the, what I've just said now. And then when we look at non-compliance um, by SAPS members, 
the failure by subs members to comply with the obligations of the of as imposed by the domestic violence act and the national instructions constitute misconduct as that is determined by the domestic violence act as well as the subs national instructions so what we do we measure whether subs has got any processes in place to deal with um, non-compliance against members. And as the Act says, the station commanders are expected to institute disciplinary actions against such members unless an exemption is granted um, by the CSPS. And then uh, in this slide, we just reflect on the SAPS non-compliance, which is similar to what SAPS has presented previously, which is um, the numbers of non-compliance according to the records that we received from the SAPS. Um, and then on this next slide, number 12, we're reflecting now on the non-compliances that we discover as we do the oversight visits at police stations. And these might not necessarily be recorded on the SAPS information. So in terms of the, our information, there were 15 non-compliance incidents that were found, and five of these were administrative non-compliances, and 10 were operational non-compliances. So operational non-compliances are mainly in relation to when a member fails to actually respond to a victim in a manner that is appropriate, whereas administrative non-compliance is when a member fails to administratively record um, the, 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 the domestic violence incidences as they are reported. So we've got the numbers there and the provinces that are affected by those non-compliance solutions, Eastern Cape, Free State, Gauteng, Limpompo, and the Western Cape, with one station in the Eastern Cape, one in the Free State, one in Tembisa, I mean, sorry, two in, the, in Gauteng, and then there were nine members involved in, in one station in Limpompo and one in, in the Western Cape. And then we also had um, two complaints that were reported by members of the community directly into the secretariat's offices. And um, one was in the Gauteng province and one was in the Free State uh, province, whereby in, in Acacia, uh, the, the police members failed to make an arrest after an incident of domestic violence was reported. And then in, in Kopanong Free State as well, there was a failure by members to follow a local instruction from their commanders, and this led to, to perpetrators not being arrested. And in this case, a Copernon case, there were applications for exemptions that were made for four of the members, and those um, exemptions were granted. Um, and then in terms of also assessing subs management of non-compliance, we, 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 we assess whether the SCPS or the police stations have measures in place to deal with the reoffending and whether there are remedial processes in place to assist members who have committed administrative non-compliance. And what we found is that majority of the stations do have mechanisms in place to deal with non-compliance. Uh, and the mechanisms are meant to curb repeat non-compliance, even though we still see that in some instances, there are uh, members who are re-offend, but um, some police stations do have measures in place to try and deal with that issue. And also to improve um, the process of reporting non-compliance, like um, General Mutala had indicated earlier, we've got a compliance forum that has been established between ourselves and the subs, which sits regularly to look at the processes um, of DVA implementation and non-compliance. And then when we look at our members that are offenders at, of domestic violence, from the information um, that we collected through the station visits, we discovered that there were 
23 members were reported to be offenders of domestic violence, and these were based in 17 police stations, which were in Eastern Cape Free State, Gauteng, Northwest, and the Western Cape. Uh, out of those uh, 23 members, 11 firearms were seized, and there were two Section 102 inquiries that were conducted. And for those inquiries, um, at the time of reporting, when we finalized the report, the, 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 the outcomes were still pending. So the reasons that were provided for not conducting Section 102 inquiries was that um, the members uh, had already bought, brought the firearms to the stations for safekeeping, and also that firearms were not used during the reporting of the incident and that some members do not have personal firearms or state firearms issued um, to them. There was also one case of a firearm that was not seized and there was no section one on two inquiry conducted. And it was reported that um, that was not done because the member had disappeared so that, that it cannot be done immediately. Um, and then the next slide um, reflects on the members that are, are victims according to the records from SAPS, and um, this was covered by General Matonzi. Um, and then uh, we come to the members now that have been identified as victims of domestic violence. And um, our records, our findings found that there were 25 members during this period that were um, reported as victims of domestic violence and the provinces there that were affected were Eastern Cape, Gauteng, KZN, Limpopo, Northwest, and the Western Cape. And I think what we found pleasing was that all the members um, that were found to be victims of domestic violence had been referred for EHWP services in order to assist them in, in strengthening their coping mechanisms. And then when we look at um, further at the implementation of DBA's police station level, we also look at whether uh, the registers are being inspected on a regular basis and whether those inspections are yielding the positive results that they are meant to. So what we found is that um, this, the first, both first level and second level inspections are being conducted by police stations. However, we what we found was that it appears that um, the conducting of the inspections is just done as a matter of compliance rather than as a supervisory tool. And this is based on the fact that even though registered, uh, we can see the signatures of commanders indicating that the, 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 the registers have been inspected, but they do not identify the mistakes as, is it, out, as it is outlined in the state of orders that they should identify the mistakes and therefore call the members um, that have made those mistakes to correct them. And also this would help in ensuring that there is no repeat um, offending that takes place. Uh, when mistakes are identified and instructions given, there is no follow-up to ensure implementation of instructions as well. And then in terms of the availability of the private interviewing place, just like um, General Matonze have indicated previously in, her in his presentations, we found out most of the stations um, do have, majority of the police stations do have the victim-friendly rooms. However, even those that do not have victim-friendly rooms, they do make provisions to ensure that at least there is a designated um, interviewing space that uh, the, 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 the victims are not interviewed in public. So what we found was that 85% have a designated VFR, 7% were using an office which is specifically designated for private interviewing, 4% were using cubicles in the CSC, and the other 2% indicated that even though they don't, might not have space, but they would make means to ensure privacy where is needed with some stations even indicating that they would use um, the 
the vehicles to, 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 to interview the victims privately. Um, in terms of the availability of uh, female members in all shifts, the recommendation is that each and every shift should have at least a female member to assist um, uh, victims that come and require to be assisted by or prefer to be assisted by a female member. So we found that it is only 2% of the police stations that did not have a female member deployed in each and every shift. And the reason for this was because in those particular police stations, there will be shortage of uh, female members. And that means, therefore, the station is unable to to, to, um, to deploy a female member in each and every shift. Also, the other area we look at is the availability or the access to sign language interpretation services at police stations, because we know that we've got um, people that are disabled and would also come to the stations to report their cases. What we found is that compared to the previous reporting period, um, in this period, there is a slight increase in terms of the access of the stations to sign language interpretation and uh, with 52% of the stations having that um, access and um, 47 not having that access. And then in conclusion, um, we are saying that personal and cultural factors may negatively impact on police officers handling of domestic violence. And this is evident through poor implementation of the DVA that guides officers in engaging victims of domestic violence and types of operational non-compliance that is received. And the improvement in management of non-compliance by members and disciplinary proceedings were instituted against all members who failed to comply. And this is an indication that the SAPS is making positive strides in taking the implementation of the Domestic Violence Act seriously. We also found that there are still gaps in implementation of the domestic violence at the police station level. And this is shown by the number of high administrative non-compliances and increasing number of operational non-compliances, which are serious matters that can endanger the lives of the victims. It is also concerning that there were some cases where no disciplinary proceedings were instituted against members who committed acts of domestic violence. Um, commanders within police stations are also sometimes not fully conversant with the contents of the Domestic Violence Act and the national instructions. Hence, in some instances, inspections are not conducted, yet mistakes are not identified, are conducted, yet inspections are not identified for corrections. So in our recommendations, we are recommending that um, there should be localized multisectoral engagements forums and relations uh, that should be strengthened in order to improve the referral processes and the response. We're also recommending that the police should put in place stringent measures on access to firearms for members whose firearms have been seized for being offenders of domestic violence. Also in line with the sub-disciplinary regulations, all members that are offenders of domestic violence should be subjected to disciplinary proceedings and section 102 inquiries should be conducted for all members whose firearms have been seized in line um, with the Firearms Control Act. Uh, also, awareness campaigns should include educations on the repercussions of false, of false reporting as state resources are wasted in these cases. And lastly, we're recommending that refresher, costs, uh, refresher training courses on DVA should be provided to station commanders in order to strengthen um, compliance and supervision. Um, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, can we have the National Commissioner? Do you have anything to conclude? Or um, the Acting Director, Mr. Amaru? Thanks, Honorable Chairperson. We don't have anything to conclude on. That's, That's our presentation. presentation.
thank you very much, uh, National Commissioner. Thank you, Chair. Oh, sorry. Nothing from the National Commissioner side. Thank you. Uh, Minister and Deputy Minister, I'll call you when you are going to respond. Honorable members, I'll take a show of hands now. Uh, Honorable Tablanche, please repeat your one question that wasn't answered. Yeah, person, thank Honorable, you. Wait, Honorable Tablanche, I'm still taking hands. Sorry for Sorry. that. Honorable Tablanche, then Shembeni. You can start. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. The one question that I didn't get a response on was about, I raised the issue of the 89 members that were convicted of DVA offences. And I wanted to know what offences, you know, is that criminal criminal cases or what, whatever it is, and what happened to these members? Are they still in the service and what are they doing at the moment? Chairperson, and then I have further questions, but I uh, suppose you'll be, give me another chance for that. Blanche, you can finish your questions. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, it appears that, you know, the issues referred by the Secretariat to the police, apparently... I, you know, apparently there's a sort of a soft handedness from the police dealing with the members that, you know, were transgressing or not complying with or failed. And I just wanted to highlight that and maybe get a response on that. Chairperson, then a more worrying factor is the fact that people are inspecting the registers, the station commanders and other inspecting officers. And apparently, no appropriate action is taken then to ensure that, you know, the mistakes are rectified. And I just want to know what is going to be done to rectify that. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Tablanche. Honorable Shembeni. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister, Deputy Minister, and uh, the National Commissioners. Civilian Secretariat, uh, two questions that I have. The first one, the, the sign language issue or the challenges. What do we have or what measures do we have in place to close the gap in this one? What uh, does Civilian Secretariat have in place to close this gap of the sign language challenges in the police station? Because now you see people are taking advantage of these people who cannot talk. And then they know that the police will be struggling to open cases or identify the victims and so on. So what are we doing with this one? Secondly, the false reporting. Uh, what steps are being taken against those people that are uh, playing with our resources, uh, time, and everything by the police. And only to find out that these people were reporting uh, false allegations that they, they are not there. What are we doing as the 
CSPS or the police to stop this tendency of getting on and on. Because if it's not stopped, it will carry on. And then the people, the police will use their resources for no apparent reason. Instead of attending to serious cases, you will attend to this false uh, 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 dockets or whatever. The dockets that are being used there, the pen, the time, and everything, it's a lot. What steps are being taken now to resolve this issue of false reporting? Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Shembeni. Those were the last questions. Um, could we indicate who will answer? Uh, let's allow the secretary and the team to respond, Chair. Thank you. Mr. Amaru. Thanks, Honorable Chairperson, Minister, uh, Deputy Minister, Honorable Members and Colleagues. Uh, the, the questions that have been posed, I think SAPS will also have, may also have to assist in responding. But the first question is about what is going to happen to those who do not rectify the, the mistakes. From our side, once we identify these issues, we make recommendations to SAPS for, for disciplinary steps to be, to be taken. And then the process uh, now lies with SAPS to make sure that uh, those steps that are, we have recommended are taken. So in cases where if they do their own internal investigation and they realize that uh, maybe the member was not on the wrong side, that's when they will come back to us to apply for exemption uh, for that member not to be uh, uh, disciplined. So otherwise, uh, the, the, the operational side of it or the implementation side of it lies with the SAPs. The second question about the sign language. Uh, we, when we identify the stations which do not have the sign language or access to sign language interpreters, we make recommendations to SAPs uh, for them to try and, and source uh, the, the, the interpreters, which as we indicated in our report, there seems to be a huge stride uh, towards resolving this matter. As now we're talking about 52% of the stations having access, but we're continuing uh, to make recommendations uh, to SAPS to make sure that this happens. In terms of false reporting, uh, the on our side from CSPS, what we do is when we have our DVA campaigns uh, in the communities, this is one of the areas that we focus on and emphasize that uh, members of community should know that uh, when they do self-reporting, there is uh, an abuse of the resources for the police. And if, unfortunately, when the police have to rush to attend to these cases, then they deny uh, someone who needs the service uh, honestly uh, to get that service. So this is what we do in terms of uh, campaigns that we do in the, in the community. Thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Any further comments? Uh, General Mtala, can you come in on the issues Honorable Dr. Blanche raised and uh, the comments that the Secretary said you can make from SAPS through you, Chair? Thank you. Well, thank you, uh, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, uh, Honorable Dep uh, Minister and Deputy Minister. On the issue of the 89 members, whether they are convicted or is it departmental? Uh, it's actually not 89, it's 59, Honorable Chairperson. 
And uh, this uh, is actually departmental uh, uh, cases that were handled by different, uh, uh, through our internal processes. And then, um, Feda, Honorable Chairperson, on the issue of the, the availability of services for, especially for the deaf community, as part, part of what we are doing, except for focusing also on uh, women and children, but we're also uh, focusing on the vulnerable groups, uh, which include all uh, categories of vulnerable groups, including the deaf community. We have the MOU with the DIF uh, South Africa, uh, and we also, uh, they are making their services available to uh, our police stations. But over and above that, uh, in, uh, in conjunction with, the, with our uh, DIF SA, we, they are also training our members uh, in the shifts so that uh, in case if we have a challenge, uh, with an unavailability of some of those sign language interpreters that uh, uh, our members, especially those that are uh, strategically deployed in your victim-friendly rooms and, uh, and also gender-based violence desks, that they, they are also trained uh, with the uh, sign language inter uh, interpretation, I submit. Yeah, Chair? Yes, Jim. No, thanks. I thought uh, General Mutala will also touch on the issue uh, that the DIFSA have made proposals to SAPS and we have said that they should further engage with DIFSA with regard to the proposals they have made, which will assist us to be able to provide services, even in areas where uh, there is nobody who can physically interpret, but there is a gadget that they've proposed and discussed with SAPS, and management was discussing that matter. I thought you will, uh, you will touch on that because it is there and it's something that uh, management is interfacing with together with DIFSA to see how far can this assist us in uh, closing the gap that is there because what we should accept is that we will not uh, be able immediately to have uh, these facilities in all our, our stations, given the limited resources at our disposal. So there might be a need to utilize technology to deal with this uh, shortcoming. But this matter is, 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 is currently with, the, with management and I hope they will be able to resolve to resolve this matter to so that it can assist us in this space. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much um, for that, Honorable Deem. Uh, National Commissioner, before I ask the Minister to close, I do not have any further hands. Uh, National Commissioner, we're coming to the end of our meeting. Thanks very much, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, the Honorable Minister of Police and the Honorable DM. Uh, yeah, we are interfacing with uh, DIFSA. There is a gadget that we are intending to buy it for, especially the top 30 GPV stations. That is just the start. It is a gadget that will assist us in 
uh, interpreting the language by the, the, the people, and it will be uh, be able to talk to our police members at those top 30, but we'll start there, but we'll, in, we'll roll it out to other stations as we go along. But uh, otherwise, we don't have any further comments, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, um, National Commissioner. Honorable Minister. Thank you, Chair. We are trying to push harder uh, on this uh, uh, impediment that is supposed to help, especially because uh, those people who suffer from that uh, uh, problem of, of, of not hearing, they are easy victims even of uh, is victims for the gender-based violence uh, the, of, 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 of the perpetrators around them. So is one thing that you are pushing while those machines technology, but uh, they can't replace a human touch. Indeed, it can't be tomorrow. It's, a, it's quite a, a sizable amount of, of task uh, going forward. So it'd be combining both uh, training, uh, getting assistance from there, including uh, this technology card. Chairperson, the, the, the utilization of the secretariat uh, by the ministry and the police is, is improving. Uh, I guess there was a time when they were looked like as enemies, as people that uh, uh, are, are not kind to each other, but looks like that attitude has changed and uh, the secretariat is, is really uh, put where it's supposed to be to give uh, the, the extra understanding and the extra capacity to the ministry that is taken uh, to the police. We will be working with them on monitoring the things that are on the budget, on monitoring the usage of the budget, things that uh, have been agreed upon, the targets and all that. Uh, they, they, themselves, there's been a call to say, uh, like the national commissioner and his provincial commissioners and deputies, get out of the offices, saturate the streets, uh, so suffocate the criminals. Also, the secretariat is also made the call to go out there and look after us are things that were agreed upon, uh, uh, done and done properly, done, done timelessly, and uh, make sure that we exhaust the budget. This thing of rollovers must be the time of previously. They must tell us, uh, show early indications that you are, you are heading for a trouble there. No targets, the budget is not going to be spent accordingly. We're overspending less value. So we, I, I think the, the improvement of working of all uh, legs of this pot, as it was said yesterday, including the IPAD, will help to improve the situation that will impact positively to the communities out there. Uh, that's a point one wanted to raise. Thanks, Chair. Thank, thank you, honorable members. Honorable Shimbeni, I've seen your hand, but I'm not going to take any further hands. I gave you all an opportunity. Or is this a historical hand? No, Chairperson, it's a different issue from this one that we have. No, I wanted to no honorable, honorable Shimbeni, can you please uh, put that to me in writing? I've given, in terms of protocol, 
I've given the Deputy Minister, the National Commissioner and the Minister an opportunity to speak. Honourable Members, all the further um, announcements will be made to you on the WhatsApp group. Uh, this includes uh, the planning for the Firearm Summit. And uh, next week, we'll also inform you about any emergency meetings which we need to call. We'll inform you well in advance. I wish to thank the Civilian Secretariat, your team, National Commissioner. Thank you, Minister, for joining us after Cabinet. I appreciate that, and the committee members appreciate this. Thank you, Deputy Minister, for always being available to the committee. The meeting is now adjourned. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Minister. Thank you, DM. Thank you, Thank you Honourable Chair. Thank you, NASCOM. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, WAP. Recording stopped.